0: I think um women's cycling is evolving and growing very quickly. I think we're in a position now where there are so many teams that want to apply for world tour because they can afford to pay riders. They can afford to support them at the level of a world tour. And it's really inspiring to see. It would definitely be interesting to see if we can have a pro ranking added in because we have so many teams that are, are ready to uh, fund athletes properly, livable wages and everything like that. I, did my first year um as a trainee so i didn't make an income and so coming from there to this team where i am earning very well and i'm very grateful for the team it's pretty incredible for me and i know riders that have really struggled in the past and didn't make any money and now they're comfortable so i think it's really great for the future generation in cycling to have a a clear pathway and a a good pay for what they're doing as well
1: Welcome back. I'm Jonathan Kaplan, the host of the Riding With podcast. Today, we're speaking with Henrietta Christie, a 21-year-old native of New Zealand who's riding for an American team, Human Powered Health. Human Powered Health has both a men's and women's team racing on the world tour. And this year, as last year, Henrietta will be racing the Women's Tour de France, which begins on Sunday, the very day that the men's race ends. The Women's Tour de France is eight stages, it's very hilly this year. It includes one time trial on the last day. And it was great to talk to Henrietta to get a perspective from a young rider, her second year on the world tour, who has made a very, very long journey from Christchurch, New Zealand to Girona, Spain. And she provides you know real insight and into the nitty gritty of what it's like to be a pro cyclist. At the highest levels of the the sport. And I want to thank Charles Aaron, the owner of human powered health for his guidance and insight over the past year uh, into the sport of cycling, into the business of cycling, into some of the riders. He's one of those people that I could not have launched this newsletter and the podcast without. So, so Charles, if you're listening, thanks. And again, if you want to read profiles of some other writers with Human Powered Health, you can go to WritingWithCaplin.substack.com. And I think I've done profiles of two writers on on the team. And if you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, of course, it's WritingWithJEK at both Twitter and Instagram. Henrietta, thanks so much for joining us today. You're you're riding for Human Powered Health, which is an American team at the world tour level for the second year in a row. You'll be doing the Women's Tour de France. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us, you know, how you got involved in professional cycling and what how you know the path you took to get to Human Powered Health.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm from New Zealand, so it's a very small cycling community um, where I grew up uh, the level is a lot different to what you have in Europe. So, um, I did a lot of training and domestic racing. And then in 2021, I joined an Italian team called B pink and I kind of, you know, packed my suitcase and just kind of left, not really knowing what I was doing and just was, you know, chasing the dream as such. And, um, yeah like my first encounter with european racing was definitely a shock and it took some time to adjust to the size of the peloton and just how the racing is and everything and um yeah i did um, a dish which is a tour in france and uh from there i got in contact with joanne kinoski who is um, one of the directors on the woman's side of the human powered health who is actually a fellow kiwi um from christchurch where i'm from as well so it was um quite nice to talk to her and then uh from there I joined the team on a two-year contract which was really quite amazing like I didn't expect to go from my first year in Europe to a world tour contract so I was pretty stopped um shocked with that and really excited um the team has been really great uh developing me because I was only uh, 20 when I joined the team so I was still quite young and um I was I'm very grateful for the opportunities I had. I didn't think at 20 years old I'll be starting the first ever uh, Tour de France of X Swift, and um, yeah, I think I didn't really know what to expect entering that race for the first time. And I think no one really did. We've never had a level um, a race at that level where it's like this is the biggest race in the world, and we now have a women's race. Like it's pretty incredible feeling to be a part of. Like growing up as a as a kid, I've always wanted to race the Tour de France, and when I found out there was no woman's one, I'm like, oh well, what is there then? You know, so now it's quite it's quite cool to actually say to the younger generation, there is a Tour de France avec Swift. And, you know, you can race it. You can you can get to this level and it's really quite inspiring um
1: yeah. to see that level so just, now. Right. So just for the listeners, the the I guess the official name of the women's Tour de France is the Tour de France avec Zwift. Yes. Um and Zwift is a cycling tech company, which you, it's a training platform. You can ride with avatars and friends and do workouts. And It's it's been a great, a great invention, especially during the pandemic when, you know, especially at first during the pandemic, when people weren't sure if you could, how close you get to people and whether you could still ride in groups and the racing seasons were canceled and, and so forth. But just to go back to you know when you were a kid like was there a person or an event that got you into like hey i want to ride bikes and not not only do i want to ride bikes i want to race
0: yeah i think like um i went to a real small primary school out in the country and we had a cycling team and i think that was my first like whoa, this is a sport like i really like riding my bike i was very active as a child and i'm like i want to try this and then you know they say you get the cycling bug and i got it like like that and so I got my parents into it. You know, next thing you know, we're forking out so much money for all these bikes and accessories. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really great. And um, I think from there I started doing more research into it, and that's when I came across Joanne Kinoski. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, she is my idol. And to actually have the chance to work with her now, it was like a, a real shock and kind of unbelievable in moments. So it's quite cool.
1: And can you talk about that culture shock or the the, the general shock of going – to italy i don't know if you spoke if if you you know tried to learn a little bit of italian beforehand but talk about just the cultural shock of it and then you know you said it it was a huge adjustment or a big adjustment to sort of racing in europe you can talk about that next that'd be great
0: yeah so um you know new zealand is a very laid-back easygoing not too stressed about anything kind of just goes with the flow and italians are very direct very um vocal and you know they're a lot of fun and I I love the culture there but it's very different to the culture back home so I think at first it was quite a big shock Um, but you know that I went there and they were very welcoming I kind of had like a second family they were fantastic Um, the directors and the managers of the team their parents lived above us Um, we were in a team house and parents were above us so that was a really convenient and they went out the way to really help me kind of Slot into the environment where I was.
1: I see. And then, can you talk about the racing in Italy and what yeah. kind of a shock that was?
0: Yeah. Why, so, why like- it's so
1: different <laughs> than what you had encountered before. I mean, it's, it's a common thing that you hear from mm. Americans and Australians.
0: Yeah. So, um, in Christchurch, where I'm from, we did like a school cycling where it's probably about 12 or 13 girls you're racing against if you're lucky. And you're going from 12 to 13 to like 160 to 200 girls in a race. So it is like the size that's, you know, kind of real hard to wrap your mind around and positioning was a real struggle, um, trying to navigate the bunches and be in the right places at the right time and not being afraid of getting close and touching other people. Like those sort of things were quite a shock going into the Peloton, um, just also the level of racing is very high here. Like, um, back home, you know, there's only a couple of girls you are racing against or you're racing against the guys where now you're racing against 160, very talented athletes. So there is a real shock and it's really inspiring to be around these incredible athletes.
1: And when you train with the guys back home, do they get, how frustrated do they get when you drop them?
0: <laughs> I've never got to that point. I've been hanging on for dear life every time I train with them.
1: <laughs> I doubt that. Um, so, Let's go back to last year's Tour de France, the women's Tour de France. Can you talk about the sort of, you know, it's the it's the biggest race in the world, mm-hmm. right? Even f- especially on both sides, men, women, you know, what made it, besides the bigness, what made it so different?
0: Uh, I think it's like, you know, you have the... Men's Tour de France everyone knows the Tour de France so like you could know nothing about cycling and you know what the Tour de France is. I think that's the best way to explain it. Like you could be like, yeah, I'm racing the Tour de France and be no way that's incredible. Like these people could have nothing to know, like know nothing about cycling. No idea how it works, the concept nothing and they could be like, yeah, let's watch the Tour de France. And I think that's really cool to be a part of now on the woman's side and to have those, this race that, um, we can be like, yeah, we're racing the tour de France. And I think it's like the highest level tour you can do, even though it's the same level as multiple tours in the throughout the year, it's just, it is the tour de France. It is an icon to race. It is the, it's the tour, you know?
1: So when you showed up, do you think you were like extra nervous?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Like it was very, um, very nerve wracking. We had, uh, all the vips come along as well and cheering for us um on the first stage last year and you could hear them every time we went past so it was really inspiring and really um helped lifted us to have such support from the team
1: when you say a vip are you talking about the sponsors or yes
0: um the sponsors okay. and everyone involved with the team so a lot of um everyone from america came over as well as some people in europe so it was really great to actually meet everyone from behind the scenes as well and your family and unfortunately, my family couldn't come, but they were screaming from New Zealand. So,
1: <laughs> It's some ungodly hour, right?
0: Sorry. Yeah. Ridiculous hours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so last year's race started on the Champs-Élysées. Mm-hmm. I think before the men had, before the men reached, they started later that afternoon in Versailles or wherever. And then mm-hmm. they, they rode into Paris and the women started earlier. This year, the race starts outside of Paris. Yes, and can you talk about the different stages and what your goals are d- for the race?
0: Yeah, so this year it's um a lot more climbing, like um I think the lowest amount of elevation we're doing is like one thousand six hundred meters, which is um I don't know what that is in feet, but it's still a decent amount of climbing.
1: Is that on the first um, day?
0: That's the first day, yeah, so the first so day close- is the
1: yeah, that's like yeah. five thousand feet of climbing yeah
0: yeah yeah so the first that's a day lot, is the, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah it's a lot so the first day is the least amount of climbing which is classed as a sprinter's day but even then it's still quite punchy you wow. know you've got some good yeah. climbs so it's going to be brutal um so pretty much the whole tour there's a lot of climbing so it's going to be very difficult but a lot of fun um we have some big aspirations with some uh for some stages that we've highlighted, we really want to target as well as um, our protected riders for GC. So I'm going in with a real good support role and trying to help our GC riders as much as we can, which will be... Um, who are they? Um, I believe they'll be Barbara and Eri. So um, our Italian and Japanese rider, which will be really awesome. They're very talented. Oh. Um, Barbara had a very good run at the Giro a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it'd be really great to see um, her form progressing and just how strong she is is incredible.
1: Right. So uh, earlier this year, I wrote a piece about Erie. Um, she's a very, she, very strong writer, very good climber and very mm-hmm. good on social media. I think yes. what, what she, what she might lack in speaking English, she makes up for in the use of her emojis and photos mm-hmm. on social media. So she's very, yeah, she's, she's great. She's great. Um, and so the, how long is this race? How, how long is the women's tour de France then? How many stages? Um,
0: so it is eight stages. Um, we start on Sunday, finish on Sunday. Um, the last day is a time trial, which will be very brutal. Um, it's got a little climb in the middle, which will definitely make it a bit spicy. Um, But yeah, it's definitely nowhere near as long as the men's, but we now can start with seven riders compared to six last year. So it's quite nice to have that extra rider join the team and uh, definitely help. Yeah. So it's really nice. Um, It was the same for the Giro. I think they've made a new rule for tours over a certain amount of days can have a seventh rider come in.
1: And in other, say one day races, how many riders are, is it six or seven or eight?
0: Um, it normally more like it's, it's more like, um, six riders and there's specific races where you can have seven, but that's very uncommon to have seven riders in a one day race.
1: I see. And how big, do you know how big the field is?
0: Um, I haven't seen, far? I haven't seen the official start list, but, um, I believe because with seven now, I can't work it out off the top of my head. Sorry, but, uh, yeah, it'll be a decent number.
1: Let's see, one fifty four, one fifty four. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, have we'll ha- we'll edit this as, as needed. Yeah, so <laughs> our math is right. So let's see the the longest stage is one hundred seventy seven kilometers, and the short. Well, the time trial is twenty two kilometers, which of which mm-hmm. is uh, what 12, 12 miles. So I think the yeah. men's yesterday was about twelve the same uh, distance, mm. and otherwise, otherwise the stages are about uh, you know anywhere from 60 to 80, 80 miles long. The, the seventh stage is 45 miles, but you climb, you climb the Tourmalais. So that must be like a massive day of climbing.
0: Oh yeah. That day um, is going to be the massive day for GC and it's definitely going to be one of the hardest stages, even though it's shorter doesn't mean it's easier. So it's going right. to be a, a, a brutal day. All the climbing's on the last 50% of the day. So it's going to be very, very dense.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And you know, i I mean, I was looking at the Tour de France women's website, and it, the you know the there's still such disparity in earnings between the men and the women, even proportionally, I mean the for example, the men the winner of the men's race will get five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. the women, the woman, the winner of the women's race will get, I think I saw fifty thousand. So even Mm -hmm. if you multiply that by three, you get 150,000. So that's still like a $400,000 disparity. And I'm just wondering, you know, I know you're very early in your career, but from riders who are more experienced or, you know, friends of yours, you know, what can, what needs to be done to sort of lessen that disparity?
0: I think, um, women's cycling is evolving and growing very quickly. Um, I think we're in a position now where there are so many teams that want to apply for world tour because they can afford to pay riders. They can afford to support them at the level of a world tour. And it's really inspiring to see. And, uh, it will definitely be interesting to see if we can have a pro ranking added in because we have so many teams that are, are ready to, uh, fund athletes properly livable wages and everything like that. I did my first year, um, as a trainee, so I didn't make an income. And so coming from there to this team where I am earning very well, and I'm very grateful for the team, it's pretty incredible for me. And I know riders that have really struggled in the past and didn't make any money and now they're comfortable. So I think it's really great for the future generation in cycling to have a, a clear pathway and a, a good pay, a good pay for what they're doing as well.
1: Right can I just ask you like a sort of practical question you're writing for an, an American team are you paid in us dollars
0: yes I'm paid in USD
1: so you have to somehow convert that to euros or New Zealand the
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I um convert a certain proportion of my paycheck to euros and the rest to New Zealand dollars and I leave in my New Zealand bank back home I so see. it's a It's a lot of like money going everywhere each month, but it's, it's not a big drama. It's pretty simple. Okay.
1: Okay. That's good. And what about healthcare? Because you're from New Zealand, the government, there's government run healthcare program. Mm. So you don't have to buy health insurance on the open market or the team doesn't provide it for you. How does that work? Um,
0: The team provides healthcare when we're racing and training. So if we have an accident, um, the team will help support us with that. I have my personal health care for if I get sick or injured off the bike or on the bike as well. It's always handy. I feel safer having my own insurance as a backup as well. I see. Um, but I know the American riders um, have health insurance through the team for America as well, as well as racing in Europe. So,
1: right, right. Mm. Well, now now it's a law here that you have the employer has to provide health insurance. So
0: yes, and you're yeah. an
1: employee. You're an employee of Human Powered Health.
0: Um, I'm a self-employed.
1: Uh oh is that a contractor?
0: Ha- yeah, so um it's a lot easier because everyone's from all over the world. It's easier for us to pay our own taxes to wherever we're living. So Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. I didn't mean for this to become a conversation in, you know, tax and healthcare <laughs> and business and all the reasons you wanted to become a professional cyclist, but I do think that's like really interesting for hmm. listeners to know just just to, on one hand like how precarious of an existence it, it can be. Yeah, and at the same time, when teams take responsibility, like Human Powered Health, and I know um, Charles Aaron is a, a very responsible owner. He's been in the business a long time. I think I, I get the sense that he cares deeply about his riders and and mm-hmm. and providing them with a livable wage and and a benefit. Um, because again, I mean, it's like a high risk sport, and and nothing, you know, it's, it it could be a short term sport too, given how competitive it is. So, yeah. Um, And, you know, this is so coming up, is a huge week, just really quickly. Can you give us a sense of how you've been training for it? And, you know, actually, let me step back. Where do you live during the year?
0: Yeah. In Girona in Spain, um, which where a lot of the men's side of the team lives, We also have a service course here, which makes it very convenient, Uh, Um, just to be around the team. Like Charles comes here a lot and visits and trains. So it's really nice to catch up to him, catch up with him when he's here. And so it's really nice. It's, um, very homely, this area, which is nice.
1: And by service course, you mean there's a, what does that exactly mean?
0: Um, so basically it's just like a big warehouse where we have all our bikes our mechanics, um, our trucks, our vans, our cars, like if I have a problem with my bike or something's broken, I can roll over and I could have a spare parts or something to help me fix it. Or yeah, it's just really convenient to have like the team so close by. So if there's an issue, I can get it sorted really easily.
1: I assume that that means there's people to train with.
0: Uh, Yeah. So normally um, at the moment, Kaya is in Girona as well. So sometimes I can train with her or catch up with coffee. It's just nice to, be around the team and also, um, quite a few of the men riders are here as well. So it's nice to catch up with them every now and again.
1: Right. Right. Scott McGill, who's from the Baltimore area nearby Washington DC is, I think was living in Girona this, this season. Yes.
0: Yes. That's correct.
1: Tell us who, who's Kaya.
0: Um, Kaya is, uh, the young 90, 20 year old from America and, uh, She was the silver medalist in the junior worlds um, in 2021 and she joined the team. Uh, She's a very talented sprinter. Um, She makes it look easy and (laughs) yeah, it's, it's incredible how talented she is.
1: I'm sure you make it look easy too. So just tell us, you know, in the, in a few, you know, in a minute or two, you know, the kind of preparation that you've done for, for the tour de France.
0: Yeah. So um, it's quite hard to kind of have a pure goal, like a pure strategy of how to, train for the tour like things happen i'm racing in, in between the tour um so leading up to it i have races i've had a couple of crashes where i've got a concussion and a knee injury and so you know that changes the plan of how i want to target this race this year um yeah this year which was really frustrating um, i bet I bet. yeah but it's part of the sport you know like it's not a straight line it's up and down everything in between Um, you know, I had a bit of sickness after one race I did in Spain, Ruta de Sol. And, uh, that kind of took me a few steps back in the preparation, which was a real blow. Um, I didn't quite get to prepare as much as I, or not as much exactly how I want planned to prepare myself for this. Um, so I think you have to be very, uh, prepared to change the plan and be adaptable towards whatever happens. So, um, my coach and I had many phone calls of how we're going to approach this, how we're going to train. And so we did lots of miles, um, high intensity, as well as, um, doing some races to help kickstart the engine again.
1: So, but now you're healthy and you're ready to go.
0: Yeah. I'm healthy, ready to go. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, look, we'll be watching and good luck to you and thanks Thank for you. doing this.
0: Yeah, no worries. It was nice talking to you.
1: The Riding with podcast is produced and edited. By the team at palm tree podco anthony palmer is the executive producer